We are in a series this fall on relationships, and it's really a time of reconnecting. As Mark said, this is the first weekend we've had all three services now open again, and kids' classes on Saturday night. We just keep making one prayerful step forward, and uh, that rebuilding that God is doing in all of our lives, and we're doing it together as a church family. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for your prayers as well. In this series, we're also launching a lot of life groups. We've got about 55 life groups. Some are online, some are in person, and range of locations, nights of the week. Let us know if you want to get in a life group. And then also we have marriage. This is a marriage content. We've never done this before to build up marriages. You can sign up and you'll get daily a video, some discussion questions to strengthen your marriage. And and Lori and I have been doing this at night. It's fun. It's been really positive. It's not always easy to open up and really talk about the marriage, but that's when the best things happen and, and God is moving. So sign up for that. Make sure you get that content. We're not just studying about relationships. We want to reconnect and grow together in our faith. We're going to see that in Genesis chapter 6 today. It's our joy to get into God's Word. Genesis chapter 6, if you want to turn there on your phones or if you brought a Bible, if you ever need a Bible, let us know. And this is about a family's journey. And I want you to think about your own family and the journey that you've been on recently. And maybe you want to think long-term, your family and the journey that you've been on. This is a family that overcomes a flood, that makes it through a flood. So that's inspiring. And 2020 has really felt like a flood in a number of different ways in our lives. And so it's relevant as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. And God, today we pray as you communicate to us our hearts, our minds, our souls, that we would welcome you. We would welcome your word. And Father, you would change our lives. We know you're greater than the boats we build. You're greater than the floods that we endure. And you're greater than the world that we see. We give you praise together. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so well. We pray in your name. Amen. In this series on relationships, we're really connecting both the vertical, our relationship with God, and how that relates to horizontal, our relationships with other people. When you hear relationships, don't try to compartmentalize it to just you and another person. But instead, the most important thing in your relationships with other people daily is your relationship with God. And that closeness to God changes the way we respond, treat, love, pray for, our attitudes towards other people. And we see that in Scripture. And today I want to uh, present a phrase. It's four words, and it's the phrase, because God said it. Because God said it. Let's all say those four words out loud together. Because God said it. And that right there expresses faith and trust, which is at the core of every healthy relationship. Every relationship in your life, at the core, how much trust is really there. And that's true with God. That's true with other people. For Noah and his family, it's going to come down to faith. It's going to come down to trust. What did God say? Can we trust what God said? Because if God is good, and he is, and he's that good, then what he says is good. And when we live that out, it's good. But that takes faith and that takes trust, and that's the core of our relationship with God. So we're going to look at three different chronological segments today, before the flood, during the flood, and after the flood, and we're going to take a look at Noah's family and their journey. Before the flood, we're in Genesis chapter 6. Here's the context, starting in verse 5. It's kind of sobering. Uh, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. During that time, the earth was filled with sin, rebellion, 
corruption, violence. We see some of that today. If you watch the news, you can see some of that. But back then, it was prevalent. It was everywhere to the degree that God was sorrowful, that he even made mankind. He was grieving. God feels. God cares. God enters in. And our actions affect God deeply. And because of the rebellion, because of the destruction, because of the mistreatment, because of the hatred, because of the injustice, God was grieving. He was grieving what was happening. And yet God loves everyone all the time. And the Bible even says he takes no pleasure when someone who's been cruel dies. Even when, let's say, Hitler dies, God takes no pleasure in that death. And yet God is also holy. And so we have this tension between God's love and his holiness played out in Genesis 6. What about Noah? Let's take a look at how Noah was living in verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He walked with God. It means he walked by faith. Noah had a faith. It was courageous. It was countercultural. And it would even be controversial at times. God doesn't want us to just have a little bit of faith or a medium amount of faith. Noah had faith, and when you really follow Jesus, not everyone is going to applaud. Not everyone's going to like it. It's not a popularity contest, and yet Noah's not in it for the approval of other people. He's courageous, he's countercultural, and this tension is going to rise in this passage. Uh, as we think about Noah, and how he's living, it comes down to because God is good and because God said it. And that's like an anchor for our lives. God is good. God said it. Let's trust the Lord. Here's the main passage, and it's starting in verse 14. Enter into the scene in your mind. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood made of many rooms and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you would build the ark. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark within 18 inches of the top. Then put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Kind of sounds like a stadium, but it's a boat. It's much longer than this room, twice as high. It's a little wider as well, uh, but that's the ark. Now, God says, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you, be kept alive, and then you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and food for them. And here's verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Because God said it, let's do it. God said that there's going to be a boat you're going to build, there's going to be a flood that's going to come, and then there's going to be a covenant of my hope and my love. And Noah was going to walk by faith. What does this faith look like? Uh, in Psalm 127, verse 1, we read, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We can waste our time and energy on a lot of different things in life. But unless the Lord builds the house, listen to him, trust him, be in alignment with heaven, what we're going to do is in vain. But if we trust the Lord, it's going to be fruitful. And we're going to need to have a courageous faith. Let's break down and unpack that courageous faith. First of all, how long did it take Noah to build this boat? About 100 years. 
Can you imagine having a project? Maybe you've had a home project that's been a couple decades, right? A bathroom, a kitchen. But imagine a project that is decades. Your whole life you're working on this project. Of course, back then they lived longer. Now this would be our whole life. But a hundred years, decades of trying to build this ark. And I don't know how much the family helped. I don't know if he hired anyone. I don't know if the animals helped. We don't know all the details. But this is going to be a long-term faith an unprecedented restart and reset. How many times have you switched jobs? Think about that. Or switched careers? Or how many times have you moved from one location to another and had to start over? Friendships, right? To get to know everybody, the neighborhood, the climate. Just think about how massive those changes have been in your life. And this Noah has a monumental shift. This is a restart for all of humanity. Imagine if you and seven other people were like the new start for all of humanity. Like, what, what would you even say to God if that was the plan? And Noah's taking that in. A flood in the desert. That's going to be very unusual. Think about the number of questions that Noah's kids had. I know when we're going to just go to the, let's say, restaurant, and we get in the minivan, we have four kids, and the questions start coming. How far away is it? Where are we going? What kind of food do they have? That's just a restaurant. When we take a road trip, like when we're going to drive to another state or it's going to be a 12-hour trip, do you know how many questions come in our car? When are we going to get there? Are we almost there? Well, what are we going to do when we get there? Well, what, what are we going to stay? Is it going to be a hotel? How many rooms? How many beds? Who's going to sleep in the big bed? You know, it's just like, here it comes. It's a barrage. Sometimes we just have to say, you have one more question. You have one more question, uh, you know, in the next hour. And try to set a limit on it. Imagine the question. There's going to be a flood, a boat. You've never built a boat. How are you going to build a boat? Are we going to have to help? Is this boat, when's the flood going to come? Are you serious? Are you sure you heard God? Did you really hear God? Has anyone ever asked you that question? Are you sure you heard God? And all these questions come. There's critics. There's mockers. There's cynics. How do you know? No one said yes to Noah. No one got in the boat. Everyone that heard Noah's plan and heard what God's going to do, every single person said, no thanks, don't have time for it, don't believe it. Can you imagine if your whole life you're sharing good news, you're sharing a message of hope, you're sharing a rescue, and no one wants to listen? In fact, uh, Noah probably just emails, texts, nasty comments. I mean, he didn't have a phone back then, but if he had one, it would have been lit up. I mean, all the, the drama, the shade, the criticism, it was all coming to Noah. And what did he do? Let's take a look at this. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. If God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood and its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Noah did two things. He served with his hands and he spoke with his mouth. Sometimes, don't we want to tell God, I'll serve with my hands, but I don't want to say anything. Or some people say, I'll, I'll speak up. I just don't have to roll up my sleeves and work and sweat and do all that hard work. Well, both for Noah, he's going to have to build a boat he's never built before. And also he's going to speak to friends, to acquaintances, to people in his culture. God wants us to serve and speak. Noah's going to do it, but the results, we've got to trust God. Even if no one responds, stay faithful to God. That's what Noah's going to do. And oh, one other part of this faith, he's also got to gather all the animals. Can you imagine being in a boat with every type of animal? We have one dog, okay? Her name's Bella. She's got a you know, pretty good temperament. She is plenty for our whole family. 
I mean, she sometimes smells, she snores, you can hear her making noises. At night, it's like, is she having a nightmare? Walking Bella, picking up in the backyard for Bella. One animal for us, plenty. Can you imagine every animal? Walk them, the noises, the smells. I mean, it's kind of like going to the zoo's fun for a couple hours. Can you imagine living in a zoo and doing that for a year? This is Noah's life. This is going to take faith on every level. And yet Noah's going to say, amen, God, amen. We have, uh, when I think about saying yes to God and what God's word is and amen, I think of a couple in our church, Frank and Ada, Frank and Ada Grace, and Frank just went to be with Jesus. And we miss him already. If you know Frank at all, you know where his heart is. It's right there below his collar. Jesus saves. Frank loves Jesus, talks about Jesus. Frank would come to 1045 service and sit right about there every week. And you could hear him during the message. And he would say, amen, amen, amen to God's word. He'd hear God's word and he'd say, amen. He had the goodness of God, amen. He's my preaching partner. You know, he's not here anymore. We miss him. But Frank and Ada, we did a video on their marriage. Jesus hit the center of their marriage. Frank was someone who was aware that every day is a good day and a gift from God. And he would tell you that. Frank would make it to church every weekend. Physically, it was difficult, but he would somehow get here and sit down and worship and praise the Lord, and God was his strength, and he honored the Lord. And I think of Frank, I think of Noah and his family, I think of Ada, and here, here's the key. Listen to God, because the boat you build is the boat you will ride when the flood comes. The flood will come, and it's important to listen to God and trust God, because the boat you build before the flood comes, is the boat you're going to be in when the flood hits. And Noah is going to cultivate. He's going to listen to God. He's not just going to listen to God's word, but then he's going to do it. He's got a work ethic. He's going to get to work. And some of those habits in our lives, they make a huge difference. Come holy habits, prayer and fasting and time in the word and listening to God in loving people, forgiving people, blessing people. These habits that we cultivate in our lives, they're powerful. They make room for God in our lives. We create a website, abideandrespond.com, just to walk through some of that because it's new for a lot of people. And there's questions. It's like, where do I start? What do I do? Why do we do this? And so abideandrespond.com is a resource to equip you in your faith. All of us are building and I'll ask you, what are you building? You have passion in life and you're building things. You're building things right now. What are you building? What are you focusing on? If I asked you, what does Noah build? And let's say it's a fill in the blank. Say Noah is building, probably a lot of us right now are going to say a boat or an ark. That's what Noah's building. But I would say that is something insignificant compared to the other things that Noah's building. Noah's building faith. He's building a family. He's building future generations, blessings for future generations, and he's building God's kingdom. Something far greater than a boat. Yes, the boat's part of it, but there's something far greater. And if I ask you, what are you building? What's your passion? Are you building God's kingdom? Are you building up people? Are you building up faith? This is the building that's so important. And in every generation, God has a remnant of people that will trust him. They're not better than anyone else. They're just saying, God, because you're good and because you said it, I believe it. And there's no limits to what God can do through a family, through an individual who will trust him and say, yes, because God said it, let's do it.
let's do it. This is before the flood. There's a second phase, and this is during the flood. Faith during the flood looks like endurance. Maybe 2020s look like a lot of endurance for you, and that's how, you know, trusting God has looked this year. This endurance in, in this flood that Noah goes through, we can relate. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. So we have a picture of the whole family gathering, going into the ark, and then chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your wives. The same God who leads them into the ark is the same God who leads them out of the ark. The same God who leads you in is the same God who leads you out. This would be an incredible reality show. It's kind of like the original survivor right here. Noah and his family, how are they going to do it? There's a lot of waiting and there's a lot of relying. Look at this picture right here, this rendition. Can you imagine being in there during the flood, during the storms, all the animals, only eight people, no cell phones. Can you imagine having no cell phone for over a year? What if we said there's no cell phone for you over, for over a year? What would that feel like? That's just one part, didn't have a cell phone. When people think about that picture right there and how long they were in the ark, a lot of people say, oh, they were in there 40 days and 40 nights. Well, actually, they were in there much, much longer. The Bible just said it rained very, very hard for 40 days and 40 nights. I was reading, and uh, this is a chart describing how many days they were in the ark. 377 days, over a year in the ark. Think about how long, like this pandemic, a half a year, how long that feels. They were in there for 377 days, seven days entering in, 40 days of heavy rain, 110 days of lighter rain, 74 days receding, the water's receding, they can see the mountaintops. Then 40 days, they sent out a raven and a dove that come back. Seven days, they send out a dove and then comes back with a leaf in its mouth. Another seven days, they send out the dove, the dove doesn't return. And 72 more days until finally the waters recede to the point where they can leave the ark. Do you think they wanted to leave the ark before 377 days? I kind of think so. About day 50, day 100, like we're out, we're done, right? I'm sick of this. Don't like the smell, don't like the feel, want to get out, want to feel ground underneath me, I'm done. This is no luxury cruise ship, like we're out right here. Did God release them? No. The same God who leads you in is the same God who leads you out. You know what happens? A lot of people try to leave before God says leave. A lot of people try to leave before God releases. Well, I don't like the feel at my job. Well, I don't like my marriage is hitting a hard spot. A lot of people just want to leave when things get tough, but God hasn't yet said go, hasn't released. And so we want to trust the Lord in the locations, the timing, when to go into the ark, when to go out. He's faithful. He's good. He's all-knowing. He's wise. Trust him. Numbers chapter 9, they move with a cloud. When God says stay, they stay. When God says go, they go. Trust the Lord. Did they stay longer than they wanted sometimes? Absolutely. Trust God to lead you. It's not always going to feel good or be logical or feel efficient. I'm just telling you, it's not always the easiest path. Think about Jesus and his family, Mary and Joseph. They no room at the inn. They, they kind of wanted to have birth in an inn. <laughs> Comfortable, sounds good. But instead a manger, born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not their first pick. You know where they went next? Egypt. Why? Because someone was trying to kill Jesus as a baby. Herod was trying to kill Jesus, so they escaped to Egypt. Now they're in Egypt. That's where the Father leads them. And then they come back to Nazareth. You know, Nazareth, 
You know what the phrase was? Does any good come out of Nazareth? I mean, this was the city that nobody wanted to go to, but God led them. Jesus then went to Samaria later on. Why? Because there was a woman there. She had been divorced many times. Just couldn't find satisfaction in life. And Jesus talked to her about living water, crossed the cultural barriers. Why did he go to Samaria? The father led. And then to Jerusalem, where he would be killed and murdered. You think that was easy to go to Jerusalem? No, he set his face like flint, like stone, trusting the father. Because the father said it, I will do it. Go to Jerusalem. Killed, died for our sins so that we have eternal life. Jesus left heaven, came to earth. The father's plan at the perfect time. Jesus left earth, went to heaven, ascended where he is right now. Jesus is going to leave heaven again a second time, come back to earth. Why? Trusting God's timing, trusting the Father, the Father's wise. Because the Father says it, let's do it. Well, there's a lot of waiting for Noah and his family, and in our lives there's a lot of waiting. What do you do when you wait? We just saw a video of a family inspiring. What do you do when the doctors tell you you probably can't have kids? One thing is praying and fasting. In any situation, let's start praying. Let's start fasting. Let's start listening to the Lord. Sometimes we receive medical help. Sometimes we receive advice from friends. We can receive a lot of things, but start with the Lord. As you're waiting on the Lord, go to Him. Share your pain. Share your burdens. Let Him carry that. And you say, well, um, I'm too old. I'm too old to start praying and fasting. I'm too old to do this for the Lord. Noah was 600 years old. 600. He could have said, God, I'm too old for this. Uh, no, sometimes later on in life, God will lead you to another country. God will lead you to new friendships. God will lead you to start serving him, speaking up for him, investing maybe in, in someone who's younger. Don't say you're too old. Don't say God should have done this already. Trust the Lord. It's faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And this is a chapter about faith, living by faith. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith... He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. You know what I think happened on that boat for Noah and his family? I think they really grew in their faith. I think their faith really grew. One of the best things, I think, when we look back in 2020, when we look back at everything we went through, we could be able to say at the end of this year, my faith really grew. It got real. It got deep reliance and closeness on the Lord like I've never seen before. Noah developed a faith that was building the boat and also getting in the boat and also getting out of the boat. A faith that was before the storm and in the storm and after the storm. It was for his family. It was for future generations. His faith was growing. And as we're enduring, no, it's not in vain, but instead God is growing us during the storm, just like Noah and his family. And then that leads to, you know, the relief, being able to come out of the ark, new purpose and a new start. And uh, they really, I mean, life was on hold. They had to kind of shelter in the boat. And now finally, they get to step out of the boat and it's like a new start. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus said, come forward from the grave, Lazarus, and take off the grave clothes. They're kind of going to take off those stinky art clothes, probably wash the clothes, do some laundry. They're going to finally be out of the boat, and it's a new start. What are they going to do? First thing out of the boat. What would you do first thing out of the boat? What would be the first thing? In heaven, what do you think is the first thing you're going to do when you get to heaven? Well, this is what we know what Noah did. Chapter 8, verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord. Built an altar. That's right there, worshiping the Lord, wanting to draw close to God. 
saying, this is a place of worship. We're going to thank God. We're going to praise God. We're going to worship God. In the Old Testament, there's a family, Joshua's family. And at a time in the nation where many people were going away from the Lord, they made a clear declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And they know, no one in his family know, God sustained us through the flood. This is God's rescue. And we're going to worship God. We're going to worship him. When God set the slaves free from Egypt, what did they do? It wasn't just freedom to get out of slavery, but also it was worship. Worship is that culmination. We're made to worship. We're made to worship God, not just today, but for eternity. Someone that I think is uh, outspoken in the sound is Russell Wilson in terms of worship. And on Twitter, you can see right at the top, love like Jesus. I looked at one of his tweets this week. He said, Jesus is at the center of it all. I was uh, coming home from church, turned on the radio, and you know when you turn on the radio and you can't remember what station you had the last time you had the radio on? So I turned on the radio and it was a voice. I didn't recognize it as his voice right away, but I just heard a man talking about Jesus and how great Jesus is and the difference Jesus makes in his life and how he lives based on Jesus. And I'm hearing this and I'm thinking maybe this is Christian radio. Like maybe I was listening to Christian radio before and then after a little while of talking about Jesus, there's some comments about football. And then I realized, wait a second, this isn't Christian radio. This is Russell Wilson post-game, and this is on sports radio. This is being broadcast to everybody, and he's just boldly talking about his faith and his love for the Lord. And he's doing it in an authentic way, a humble way, a powerful way. And it's just a reminder that we can build an altar, whether it's on the football field, at home, at school, at work. You can worship the Lord sincerely wherever you are. And that's what Noah and his family are doing. I think that's what Russell Wilson's doing with his family right now. And God says to Noah, this is what I want you to do. Chapter 9, verse 7, be fruitful and multiply. And if you've been in this book of Genesis with us, you say, wait a second, that sounds familiar. We heard that already. That's what God told Adam and Eve to do, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, that can happen physically, you know, in that literal sense, but it's also relationally, spiritually. The impact you have on future generations, be fruitful as you abide with Jesus and multiply. There's no limit to the influence that God wants to bring through you and through your love. Pastor Mark just shared about uh, next gen, which is high school, middle school, elementary, you know, babies. Let's say you have kids or you don't have kids. Here's an opportunity. And if God's leading you to impact the next generation, because right here, Noah has been thinking about just the eight of them. He's just been thinking about his wife, three kids, and their spouses. But now God is expanding Noah's vision to think beyond just his own family, but to other families, to start thinking about generations and the impact that Noah's going to have, the influence God has set him up to have. And maybe there'll be some this weekend who would say, you know, it's time that I start investing in the lives of middle school, high school students, elementary. It's time. I'm grateful for, I think there's, you know, hundreds, uh, maybe more than 100 volunteers that, that serve but what is God doing in this season? Is he leading you? And it was an opportunity for Noah. And then God also gave a rainbow. And this rainbow was a reminder of God's mercy and his grace, of God's unfailing love. If you think about a battle bow, it's kind of the same shape, that the battle is the Lord's, the battle's over. God is holy, but he's also kind and gracious. He's never, in this covenant, never will God ever 
fill this earth with a flood. He will never do that again. No matter how hard we rebel, no matter how hard we twist things, no matter how direct we are with our sin, God will never do that. And you just think about Jesus through this. That boat, that rescue. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the refuge. There's a covenant with Jesus. There's the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with the Lord. And this whole picture is pointing to Jesus. And, and you just could end there and you'd say, what a life Noah lived. And uh, we want to emulate his faith. But there's one more verse I have to read because the Bible's so real. And this is how it ends. Chapter 9, verse 20. We read that Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. This all sounds good. When he drank some of its wine... Then he became drunk. Then he lay uncovered inside his tent. And one of his three boys, Ham, saw dad drunk, lying around naked, started to mock him, humiliate him. And you know what happened? Noah starts vertical, doesn't it? Noah stopped trusting God, got sleepy spiritually. You know, when things are going well, it's just to say, oh, I guess I don't need God. I guess I'm doing my own thing. Noah then said, you know, I'm just going to get drunk here. And in relationship with God, now there's uh, some, some weirdness, there's some rebellion. And when that changes, now it's going to affect his relationships and his family. And now Ham is going to enter in. Ham is going to do some things to dishonor dad because that opportunity is there. Now that's going to lead to strife. That's going to continue. Have you ever experienced where your family is really close and tight and then some things go down and some people do some stuff that's destructive and other people get hurt and other people kind of do something back and all of a sudden family's just not united like we were. And that's what happens here at the end is that Noah's family, now it's going to play out because of this sin. It's going to play out with a lot of division that wasn't necessary. And Noah simply kind of fell asleep spiritually and drifted from the Lord and said, I'm just going to do things my way, even after everything God had brought him through. I want to share with you that uh, I've noted and I pray um, that I, this wouldn't happen in my life, but there's a lot of pastors that I've just seen that uh, start out so strong for Lord, have a calling, are serving God and living for God. And there's so much fruit. And then for whatever reason, that last stretch in their lives, there's just a fall after the fruit. There's a hard fall. And, uh, you know, it's a reminder for all of us to just not be sleepy in our faith, but instead to trust the Lord, to seek, to listen to him. And sometimes that means blockers on a phone or accountability, but it means that we need to stay close with God because uh, we learn from Noah's life. Jesus wrapped it up as we think about his return. He refers to Noah in Matthew 24. Jesus says, but about that day, the return of Jesus, the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father knows. As it was in the days of Noah, and this is referring to all the rebellion, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Now those are all good things, but what's implied here, what's meant here, is that not only were those things happening, but all the rebellion up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus will return. And when he returns, it's not like there's going to be this awesome, strong faith, trust. Instead, there's going to be people just doing their own thing. Ah, Jesus isn't really going to return. That's not serious. He's not going to, he's not Messiah. He's not Lord. We're not accountable. We're just going to do our own thing, whatever. And Jesus says, that's how it's going to be. 
And kind of like when the flood came, Jesus is going to come with no warning, and he's going to be here. And we look forward to that because that's our redemption. That's our rescue. That's when we'll be with him for eternity. He will redeem every injustice. He will take care of every wrong. He will sort out everything right. We'll get new bodies, heaven forever. The return of Jesus is what we look forward to. And until then, let's trust the Lord together. Because God said it, let's believe it. Let's live it out. Let's live out our faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, God, that we can come to you honest. Lord, thank you that you help us, God, cultivate habits that prepare us for the storms and the floods of life. God, thank you that when the flood hits, and even when we have to wait on you, that you're still good. We can trust you in your timing, trust you in your plan. You care about us. Jesus, you wept at the funeral because you feel our pain and you care and you carry burdens. And Jesus, we thank you for the victories that you win, the new starts in our life. God, we thank you for your work, even in future generations. And we say, yes, God, that we would be fruitful, that we would be intentional, that in our relationships, they would be healthy. And God, we pray that the generations to come in this country there would be an awakening. There would be a renewing of faith. God, help us to be part of that solution as we wait on you, trust you. God, I pray today we would hear your word as you speak to us. I pray we would hear your word. And God, we want to pray over families today. We want to pray for healing and restoration, for hope, for joy, for unity in families today, forgiveness, peace, reconciliation. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.